Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Hey, what's up, Blazer fans? Welcome to the Blazer's Edge podcast, part of the Almighty Baller Radio Network. I'm Tara Bowen Biggs. This is Dan Morang, and we're here to talk about what is happening with the Portland Trailblazers. How you doing today, Dan? I mean, I'm doing. Yeah? Well, we got an important question that we need to answer right off the top. It's just one of those things, right? All right. Well, here's what we need, I need to know. What are we going to call Pat Connaughton? What's his nickname? Um, I'm more valuable than Alan Crabb, but that's probably too long, right? Can we, can we, can we, can we T-A-C. I mean, that's, that's, that's really the important part right now. I, I saw uh, Kevin Pelton that puts up Mount on Twitter during the game, the, the revival of Pat Conson, and we could, we could call it the Connaissance. <gasps> oh, that's a good one. I like uh, that. I was like, that's, that's not bad. Um, but I, mean, I like a simple. He's doing what whatever he needs to do right now, and that's that's my favorite kind of Pat Connaughton is the one that does what he needs to do. Yeah, is did did Patty Mills? Did he already go by Patty Buckets? Uh, I don't know. He was always just Patty when I think because, when he was here. Patty Cakes, I think. Yeah, I think Patty Cakes was was a pretty popular one. Because uh, Patty Fastball, people have been taught like that's yeah. his baseball nickname is Patty Fastball. I mean, but I'm I, thinking Patty Buckets. I mean, if he throws a few more dunks down like that, like that alley oop that CJ tossed him, I, mean, <gasps> I love that so much. Oh, I, I, if there's one thing I miss about Mason Plumley, it's dunks. Plumlee yes, like backwards third dunks. NBA, third in the NBA in dunks when he was in Portland. Um, losing him, we, we definitely lost a huge percentage of dunks. So having yeah. that. Um, back if he's able to do that uh, semi regularly, and I mean, this is, I mean, we're not calling him Air Pat or anything, but uh, <laughs> well, CJ was- and Patty Buckets were talking about that in the post game show after the game against Phoenix about how uh, they were looking for that one, and it was nice to know that they are looking for my favorite basketball play, which is the alley oop. I'm glad yeah. those guys have my needs in mind. For anybody who didn't catch the interview post game with CJ talking about that play, it was absolutely hilarious because CJ got to the point where he was like. Normally I look for it and more often than not, I'm just like, nah. In the back of my head, I'm thinking, he doesn't trust anybody on this team to go up and go get one. <laughs> that's, that's all I could think is like, eh, we don't really have anybody that's a real big time high flyer. And then he, he starts talking about it. He goes, and then I saw Pat turn the corner and like my eyes lit up and I'm like, see, he's looking at Pat and he knows Pat's got bounce. So he's, he probably feels a little more, more comfortable throwing that up to him. It, for, a lot of people want to question Pat's measurements at the combine uh, and his vertical. Uh, I think he showed on that play and he's done it a few times that those aren't, you know, that measurement it's not a joke he's he's got some serious bounce yeah didn't he record like one of the highest highest vertical leaps at the combine ever yeah i think it was 44 inches trying to remember off memory but it was was something absurd like you know double what 99 percent of the world is capable of doing so yeah i mean i'm sure if i worked out i could probably 
come close. But anyway, <laughs> let's let's get into it because we got a lot to cover. Um, news and notes, really, pretty much the the biggest thing that the Blazers have looked at over the last few days. And just to uh, let people know, it is Sunday night where while we're recording this. So uh, as of Sunday night, the you know the most. Uh, the biggest news is probably that Myers Leonard is going to be out for four to six weeks. Yeah, with what he's calling the second worst sprain of his career. Um, he was seen in a walking boot, um, which is a bummer because even though he was getting very limited playtime, uh, the minutes that he was on the floor had been encouraging. Like it, yeah. People want to make jokes about you know how he's dedicated, laser focused, blah, blah, blah. Really, when he's been on the floor, the few minutes he was out there against Boogie, looked really good caused boogie to get two or three turnovers in the span of like four or five minutes um the other game that he came in he came in and knocked down some threes and kept portland in it so yeah. um definitely That's a, bummer a bummer for him because, it feels yeah, like he's a little snake bitten yeah when he comes back vonley's gonna be back mm-hmm. so i mean where does that put him now in the rotation so yeah. that's uh you just gotta good feel question. bad for the dude so yeah yeah, you feel bad for him. It's a good question because Von Ley has spoken about coming back and he's targeting November 1st. So we yeah, will he, see if he's able to make he, it he's back. He's going to his minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so the Blazers are right now currently, what are they, four and two? Four and two. And they've played uh, three games since the last time we talked. I'll just go over them super quick. Uh, there was the home opener. That was the 17th home opening night victory, which is pretty impressive. 17th in a row. 17th in a row. Yes, exactly. Uh, over the Pelicans, CJ led the Blazers with 23 points. Anthony Davis, unfortunately, left early with a bump on his knee. He turns out he's okay. Um, unfortunate for him. Yeah, considering uh, his that, performance last night where he went off for 30 and 10 plus again. So, yeah, yeah I think 80 is okay. So for this game, DeMarcus Cousins ended up being um, the guy who went off for 39 <laughs> points. Damian only scored 13 points. Uh, they were the two of them, Dame and CJ, were combined for only seven points at the half. That was the strangest thing to look up and see that. That's on probably for those two as starters. That's probably the lowest th- the least I, they've ever contributed. And I think Damian only had two. So we'll we'll talk about what's going on with Damian in a little while, but. Despite that, um, the Blazers uh, ended up winning the game, and they had 43 bench points, which <laughs> is not something that we've that's, heard for a while. That's a nutty number. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they pulled it off. So, um, I don't know, any any thoughts, quick thoughts on that game, what you saw? Um, for the most part, I think it went well enough, considering it was the first kind of adversity they dealt with outside of the, the, the Bucks game. Mm-hmm. Um, then they just kind of wrestled control and they let Boogie just be Boogie and took care of everything else like, as they should. Mm-hmm. Um, I think their defense in that game was what allowed them to win, uh, even mm-hmm. though Dame and CJ were struggling drastically. Mm-hmm. Um, those, The commitments, the other side of the ball, and this is something that we talked about coming into the season, is that not every night you're, is your offense going to be just clinking or, you know, like clinking, clicking. Yeah. Um, it's been clinking lately. That, I was going to say, that's a good word for it lately. Yeah. <laughs> it's been clinking lately. That's for sure. Um, but your defense can make up for that on nights. And that, I think the, the Pelicans game was definitely one of those nights. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, when they got back to the fundamentals and mm-hmm. were able to pull it. So after the uh, Pelicans game, they played the Clippers. Damian Lillard led the Blazers with 25 points in a 104-103 heartbreaking loss to the Clippers on Blake Griffin's last uh, buzzer-beating shot. Oh, that was just there heartbreaking. Was, yeah, and there was a lot of things in that. People want to blame Dame for getting caught on the screen and not switching correctly. CJ for missing the free throw. And I think like the Bucks game, there was just some really crappy execution down the stretch. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not going to just contribute to one guy. Um, the Bucks game, you had Giannis who just made some incredible plays. He had you know two steals and a block. Um, some issues there that just kind of compounded on each other on each possession. Um, the Blazers kind of did that again with the Clippers and again in the final seconds. Uh, mm-hmm. That's not a promising trend um, when they've been in the crunch time against a decent to good op- or great opponent um, right. that they've kind of buckled. But I, I think there's things that they can learn from and grow from because they're, even though the Blazers are four and two and we'll get to this a little bit later, there's still a lot for them to work on. Uh, yeah. And in this game in particular, Dame chucked up an awful lot of shots. I think he started one of nine from the field. So one of nine or two of nine, two of ten, and he just kept chucking. And then the, the idea that shooters shoot is great, but Dame's not so limited that his only effect on the offense is shooting. Like, yeah, he can pull up from 40 feet and hit. That that's that's definitely in his bag. But when you're not hitting, find a way to get yourself going in other ways. Keep running the pick and roll because he's one of the best pick and roll guards in the entire league. If if he commits to that and gets other guys going, then it frees you know, things up for him a bit more. Or they continue to focus on him, and he can continue to attack off the dribble and get, and get things done that way. Work your way in. Don't continue to jack up some of those shots. I think that kind of reared its head as it, as it dug Portland a, a hole deeper than they needed to be in. Um, that's not solely on Dame. I just think that as the guy, I think he's got to realize that a little bit sooner. There were a couple things that stood out to me about that game. Um, And one was that DeAndre Jordan only had seven points, but he had no personal fouls. How does that happen? I I, I don't want to get into this one too much because I was losing my mind about how the game is officiated. Um, Okay. It was crappy. I mean, to to put it in in blunt terms. Uh, Yeah, but you you said that you're not someone who complains about the refs. No, it's... it's, I. It wasn't that Portland wasn't getting calls or, or were getting calls or the Clippers. It was inconsistent. Um, okay. I thought that a lot of stuff on the inside was let go and the stuff on the perimeter was called really tightly but inconsistently. And that really hurt Portland. Um, and DeAndre Jordan not fouling. DeAndre's a great defensive player, but um, yeah, he, he fouls. <laughs> Patrick Beverly, he fouls. Austin Rivers, he fouls. I mean, yeah. they've got a lot of guys that are really physical, really handsy. Um, they've got some veteran savvy. The, the Clippers are a team that should be racking up a foul a minute. So when those numbers are that skewed, that's a little off. But again, those aren't things that Portland should be blaming um, entirely as far as a loss goes. There are definitely well, I things think, that they should be working through. I think that's the only game that they played so far this year that they were out-rebounded. It was mm-hmm. only by two. They were only out-rebounded by two, but it was the only one where they were out-rebounded so far this year. Yeah, um, and Portland got a ton of offensive rebounds in that game, but the problem was the Clippers almost kept pace with them in that department. And that's really what probably decided the game was that the Blazers couldn't quite secure all those. 
Yeah. Well, and uh, the the bench was a lot quieter against the Clippers. They didn't come anywhere near the production they'd had a night before, although Ed Davis did add 10 rebounds. Oh, my God. I'm loving Ed Davis so much <laughs> this year. Um, finally, uh, to get caught up on the Phoenix game, the Blazers pulled out a victory. It was 114 to 107, which felt like it was a lot closer than that, actually. Yeah. Um, they were behind Damian Lillard's 25 points and uh, game high 11 rebounds by Ed Davis once again. Devin Booker led the Suns with 34 points, six rebounds and six assists. So he had a big night. Um, yeah, the Suns in yeah. general had their, um, hey, our coach got fired. So let me go ahead and play harder for three weeks. So nobody blames me for the coach getting fired. <laughs> right. That, that's, that's I mean, that's really what's what's going on. You know, I was, but even before the coach got fired, I was concerned about this being a trap game. Yeah, we um, talked about it coming into the season. Like, this was that game we were all kind of looked at, like, the, the Suns are just a team that has given Portland headaches in the past. And this looks like an ample opportunity for them to kind of step right into it. But yeah. they didn't have the guy in Eric Bledsoe who was probably causing some of the issues, but was also the guy that caused a lot of issues for um, Portland and Damian Lillard in the past. So, yeah. Um, but I think Booker more than made up for that. I mean, Booker showed why he's looked at as such a, a prize player. I mean, he's 21 years old and he's 34, six and six. And he hadn't done anything really in the first 20 minutes. And then he just went absolutely ham. And mm -hmm. he just blew up. He's to me, he's the second or third most explosive scorer in the game in that he's one of a handful of guys that can absolutely go on a five minute tear that fills up an entire frame. Like he, he is a guy who can legitimately drop 25 points in a quarter and just kind of go, what happened? Mm -hmm. he, he just gets on fire. And um, thankfully, um, <laughs> he didn't have a ton of support. Otherwise, Portland could have been looking at a loss in that game. But their youth and inexperience up and down the roster kind of played through there at the end. And they gave up on a few defensive possessions. And that pretty much yeah. decided it. And a win is a win. We'll take yes. it. <laughs> Especially at this point. <laughs> once you just start the season, there's nothing to be angry about. Right. Well, so we have seen, you know, now that we've seen more than just a couple of games, um, I think it's a good time to start talking about some of the players who are standing out because it's kind of a different cast than we have um, talked about previously. Usually, you know, we're at this point, we're talking about Dame and CJ and how fantastic they've been. Um They've had, you know, at least Dame's had a few struggles, but that also means that some other people have stood up. So let's talk about them. Yeah, I mean, Portland's in a position where they are because of total contributions. Like nobody's really had, well, with the exception of CJ. CJ's had some good games, but no other Blazers had an explosive night. Like it just where you're sitting there going, wow, that stat sheet looks phenomenal. You can talk about Pat Connaughton maybe in, in the opening night the nine of 14 in place of CJ. So he was basically giving you CJ's production. So yeah, I mean to, to, to have guys be able to talk about guys like Turner, Aminu, Connaughton, Davis, it's, it's reassuring that not everything is riding on the shoulders of the big three. So I, a couple things still waiting to call them the big three. Um, you had me thinking the other night when you when you were saying we were talking about uh, Nurkic earlier about whether or not his production is still shaky at this point, where it's going to go. Is he enough to be the third leg of the stool to to hold them all up? And you had a point where you were like, hey, if he's given us, you know, 15 and eight. 
that's not a bad thing. <laughs> that's yeah. regular production that there's nothing to sneeze at. So yeah, I'm coming, I'm coming around to that, but I'm still not sure. It's the, it's um, the efficiency with him right now. Like he, yeah. he's, he's putting up 13 and eight and, um, a block a game. Mm-hmm. And he's had some rough games in that stretch. And there's nothing to sneeze at. No, but it's also not max contract numbers either. So yeah. I'm certain, I, I'm nearly certain that's playing a part in that he wants to do everything because he wants to get that. I mean, if you're in that position, if you're putting yourself in his shoes, don't you want a max contract? I mean, I would. So mm-hmm. you go into the summertime and you lose a ton of weight. You do everything you can. You smile for all the cameras. You kiss all the babies. I mean, it's like a political campaign. People don't want to admit that about professional sports, but that's part of getting that big time money is not just your on the court stuff. It's how you market yourself and how you present yourself. And he's been phenomenal in that capacity ever since he got here. Um, so I think there's a little bit of pressure on him that, that maybe is translating on the floor. Maybe that's why he's rushing a few things. Uh, he's shooting under 40% from the field. So that's that's something to watch. And the fouls, and that's something we, another thing we talked about. Um, he's put, found himself in foul trouble quite a bit. So he's got he's to clean a few things up, but he's far and away from uh, you know, being a, a big-time issue. You know, this, let's just put it this way. The Blazers are 4-2 and two, even with him playing suboptimally. So mm-hmm. if, he, if he gets his stuff together, this is something that could easily turn into him being 16-17-9, and 17-10, and, and the Blazers being a dominating force in the Western Conference. I mean, that's yeah. – that's if he gets anywhere near efficiency standards, then we're looking at a, at a big time difference in how this season could go. Well, let's say that the, the, the big three end up gelling and we see that, you know, within the next few games or within even the next several games, there's still other players who have been stepping up this year. Now, you said kind of I think you said it kind of tongue in cheek the other night uh, when you tweeted out something about Aminu. Is he is he actually the third best player on the team? Tell, yeah. tell me more about that, because actually I'm just going to sit here and enjoy it, because I've been talking about Al Farouk Aminu for a couple of years now. He's always been one of my favorite Blazers to watch, and I will admit that I've always loved his defense, and we all know that his offense is chaotic, but I've always felt that he had a lot of potential, and I'm kind of starting to see it come to fruition, and I'm kind of excited. I'd like to hear your thoughts. Yeah, you know, when I tweeted that out, it was kind of more just kind of thinking out loud. Like, is Aminu the third best player, or has he been the third best player on this roster? And the more I looked at it, the more I was convinced that was the case. I mean, he has By been, what measures? By nearly every measure. I mean, he's averaging 10 points a game. He's shooting almost 50% from the floor. He's shooting above 50% from three. He's rebounding the ball like a madman. He's had some unbelievable blocks. His help defense and on-ball defense are at the best of what I've seen from him in his time here. He's impacting the game in every manner, and he's removed himself from, you know, the stupid plays. Like, Alfred Camino has limitations. Nobody's going to argue that. I think the biggest issue that people have ever had with Aminu is that He's put himself in a position to where those limitations are glaring, like, you know, dribbling the ball in anywhere, <laughs> um, putting the ball down on the floor in the open court just isn't his it, that, that's not his bag. You know, he, the, he, he is not the Austin Powers of dribbling that that's not his bag. We're not we're not even going to tempt him with that. Um, but knocking down corner threes, he's he's saying I'm I'm here for that. 
There have been times, though, when he's put it on the floor and he's been successful with it. One dribble, gather, dunk, or layup, I'm perfectly okay with. Dribbling through traffic or dribbling through people um, from above the three-point line, not a huge fan of. Um, He's got to do it occasionally to make people honor um, the pump fake. So I I get that. Um, But I think he's found kind of the perfect pace of when and when not to go, to do that. Uh, and so I you think, think some of his improvement is based on making. him just decision-making. Yeah, okay. Absolutely. He's, he's take, he's taking and making the shots and opportunities that are presented. He's not trying to force things. Um, and I think that's, that is the exact opposite has been true with Harkless. Harkless has had some, okay games but he's been pretty mediocre in a lot of departments on the offensive end and i think aminu has helped bail a lot of guys out in a lot of different places he's hit some late shot clock threes that have just i'm sitting there screaming please don't pass it to him and then he you know it's just out of habit and they kick it to him in the corner and he shoots it i'm good no 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 shoot okay that is what you get for doubting aminu hey he had that one run um it was in the i think it was the clippers game where he was four of five or three of four or four or four on his first couple of threes. And it got to the point where I think I even said it on Twitter. I'm like, hey, if the ball ends up in Aminu's hands in the quarter, he's going to open three. Shoot it. I don't care. He's on, he's, he's on one right now. Let him have it. And By the end of that game, they were actually guarding him. Yeah. And that's the thing is like, if all of a sudden, if Aminu, he's not going to hold at 50 percent. He's going to have a cold spell here and it's going to suck when it comes. Oh, ye uh, of little faith. Come on, Dan. It's it's going to suck when it happens because he's going to go through like a seven game stretch where he shoots like 26 percent. That's just the, the the law of numbers. That's that's how it's going to work its way around. Um, but if he can hold anywhere near 40 percent, that's a big time change in a scouting report for opponents as they come into Portland because they, I, they, they aren't looking at Aminu as the guy. I mean, they're looking at, yeah, we can we can cheat off him. If he's out there at 40%, you can't cheat. I believe in him. I actually, I've actually been watching, I've been tr- watching games a little bit differently lately. I've been watching, instead of watching the ball, I've been trying really hard Awful. to just watch people. Mm-hmm. Um, so just like trace one person through a whole quarter or at least through a whole series of plays. It's really hard to do that, mm-hmm. actually. But I've been spending a lot of time watching Aminu. And one of the things that I notice watching Aminu on defense is that he's not actively involved in a lot of defensive plays because people are just not passing to whoever yeah. it is he's guarding. It's, it's it's for any football fans. It's what as a Raiders fan, um, I, I call the Charles Woodson theory. Charles Woodson, when he was a Heisman uh, winner out of Michigan as a cornerback, uh, his first couple of years in the league, he led the league in interceptions, passes defense, and then his numbers fell off. He was still a pro bowler, but his numbers fell off. And I had a bunch of people ask me, why are your numbers falling off? Like, he's not the same. Like, no, they just don't throw that way. They, they, that, that entire side of the, or for, for recent memory here, um, when Richard Sherman was in his prime, they just don't throw there. It's the same kind of thing. When you have an elite defender, like, you just don't attack that area. Um, uh, Mino can do that. Uh, it's Avery Bradley for now with the Pistons. He's like, you, when you get a guy that's that like Draymond Green for the Warriors, if if you get Draymond on an island, you're not going to want to go at him one on one over and over and over again. It, it's just the numbers don't add up in your favor unless your name's Giannis, Kevin Durant or LeBron James. Yeah, then there's nothing anybody can do. Yeah, I mean, but otherwise, it's just it's just smart to. 
go after Dame or to go after CJ? Mm-hmm. Why yeah. go after the Blazers' strongest defender? And if he's taking away and neutralizing somebody, um, great. I mean, are there going to be issues for him? Certainly. Was he mismatched against Blake Griffin? Yeah. Blake's got 35 pounds on him. I mean, that's having a Minu guard Griffin um, for spurts is a good thing. It, it, it's, a, it's a different look. Um, but for long periods of time where Blake is initiating the offense from the mid or high post with his back to the basket and he's going to back Aminu down and then make a decision when the defense has collapsed, that's an issue. So, but that, is that a shot at Aminu? No, that's just, he's not, he's a stretch forward. He's not a power forward. He, he's just small forward playing the power forward. He's a big, small forward. Um, but yeah, I mean, otherwise he's been fantastic on both sides of the ball. And really, I don't think you could ask much more of him, uh, as far as his contribution is concerned this season, he's checking all the boxes. He's playing defense. He's knocking down threes. He's finishing at the rim. He's hitting in transition. Uh, he's blocking shots. He's, he's been the Blazers rebounding leader a couple times this season. Like he's done a ton every single night. He's only had one game that was off. So, I mean, if you're and that was just on offense yeah he's still getting contributions from uh, i think i believe that was the game where he ended up like with with like 12 or 13 rebounds yeah so i mean he's still finding a way to get it done night in night out and that's huge i can't believe i have to cut you off talking about aminu i'm so excited this is a wonderful day it was it was but we got to move on it was a fun thing for me when i when i said that on twitter like it legitimately is aminu the third best player right now and it wasn't a shot at the other guys it was Aminu's really playing that well. Well, I want to talk about a couple other players. And this was actually a very hot topic of conversation on we have Women Tops and Talks has a Facebook group. And we had a a big discussion about the Swanigan versus Collins playing time. And I know that you have some strong opinions on uh, who's playing Swanigan or Collins. Mm -hmm. Now, in the last game, in the Phoenix game, Collins got playing time and Swanigan did not. How do you feel about that, Dan? I'm I'm not a fan of playing a guy who isn't ready. And Collins, again, this is only seven minutes, but he racked up three fouls in seven minutes. And how is he going to learn if he doesn't get playing time? Yada, yada. I get it. I, I understand what other people's arguments are. But when I look at Collins, I just don't see a guy that's anywhere close to ready. When you look at Swanigan, even though he's making rookie mistakes, and you've got to allow guys to get on the floor. I, I understand that. But Swanigan, so how are they going to get on the floor if they don't play? I you, mean, you, you play him. You in have garbage to do time. it. You play him in garbage time. That's when you allow him to do it. Swanigan is going to make mistakes, but he plays like a guy that's already been in the league for a few years. He's not making the same rookie level mistakes. Um, he doesn't have the what appear to be the jitters. Like he looks like he belongs out there. Collins just doesn't look like he belongs. That's okay because ninety percent of most rookies don't look like they belong, but. At the same time, you also don't play those guys. If they don't look ready, they probably aren't ready. I don't know. Maybe it's me. Maybe it's not. I'm reading too much into this. But it feels like they're kind of they're playing Collins to to justify moving up to pick him. I think that's a stretch. I think they're playing Collins because I think you know in that Phoenix game, I think it was a calculated risk. And Terry and Coach Stotts is like, we need to give him some meaningful minutes in NBA time, and this seems like a safe time to do it because this is probably a game that we should win. And if Collins goes in there and he has a rough time, I can take him back out, and we have plenty of time. Otherwise, if I don't play him now, we might not be playing him at all. And these guys, they need he needs to go in and feel those NBA games 
game minutes. You know, I, I again, I, I understand that, but be like all the other guys that aren't ready and play garbage time. That that's really how I, I look at it. Is that if he wants to get him some minutes, they're still NBA minutes. He's still going up against NBA caliber, even if it is the end of a bench. Just let him get comfortable. Because I mean, uh, talking to do you a few think other he people, looked spooked after he played? I mean, I oh know he God, had three yeah. fouls. Yeah, no, he was all over the place. He he didn't. Uh, he the game looked like it was it was moving at two times speed for him. Um. Was he completely lost? No, he was just everything was just too fast for him still. And this this isn't me taking shots at Collins. I know already know how the common section is going to go on this. Um, I just don't think he's ready. And then just let him get some time. I mean, he's we've heard this from numerous scouts and executives around the league who either questioned or understood the pick. He's still a kid. This is a guy who hasn't started in, on a team in, what, like five years? <laughs> you started one year in high school? Um, so, I mean, th- th- let him get some real basketball time under his belt. Sit back, absorb the NBA, the culture, the lifestyle, the day-to-day, all that stuff. Because there's a ton that goes around in the background that people don't understand or, or aren't aware of before we put him out there. Let him get a good under – if anything – I would say give him targeted games if you're if you're going to do this. But my point on this one is I would think Phoenix was probably a targeted game. I don't know when the score's that tight and you're playing like crap, I don't, I wouldn't throw him out there. It was the beginning of it and he was he was I think he was playing against was he up against um Dragon Bender? Dra- yeah, or Dragon Bender, yeah. Dragon Bender. I mean, so like he's not a big guy. You know, it wasn't like they sent him in against Boogie. <laughs> no, and and I think they were obviously they were smart not putting him up against Boogie or putting him up against Giannis or something like. That. I saw a few other people talking about a few games before, but I mean, I, I, I get I, I, I get what you're saying about much. not wanting to rattle a guy and yeah, like I, have I, his I confidence drop out. off. We, okay, let's let's put it this way: I don't want to see what happened to him. What happened to Myers? Right. I, I get I get that, but I like so I when I saw him in summer league, he looked shook to the core yeah. <laughs> after his you know game and a half that he Does played. Does he look better than that now? I Certainly. think he looks much better. Certainly, but he still it's things look like they're moving way too fast for him still. And and again, that's common. Like that's a normal, especially for bigs. There's a reason why they say it takes bigs four to five years. Because it's 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 the most difficult position to play defensively because of where you need to be and who you need to help and how you need to adjust and everything that goes along with it. That's why it takes so long for those guys to fully develop. Not to mention the physicality that comes along with it, which is obviously his biggest shortcoming right now. So I think he's a little behind the eight ball in in both senses. So. Well, I you were not alone in that assessment. That's what most of the women on women's hops and talks were saying. They were they were uh, thinking that. Uh, the minutes would have been better going towards Swanigan or um, just because Swanigan, as you said, appears to be more ready with the speed of the game. And, you know, and maybe uh, it's not the right matchup. And maybe there's a lot of maybes here. And maybe if Vaughn lays healthy, Collins doesn't even see the floor that night. That's another thing. I feel like like this is the time to get Collins in because Vonley's coming back and those minutes are going to be scarce. So like, gonna, let him get some run. Let him get some play. Gone. I mean, there those minutes. I mean, it's, the, they're going to be scarce for more scarce for everybody, not yeah, just Collins. I mean. like, it's like Swanigan probably will will be in the position that Collins is in here, like going forward. He'll probably get seven minutes a night, 
he'll come in and play one shift. If some or if somebody gets in foul trouble, he'll be the guy that comes in in that position. Um, because when when Vonley comes back, you get some utility with Vonley um, for both the power forward and center position. So yeah, and it's it's not. I just a don't big have a problem with it. Things. I don't necessarily have a problem with it. I just, from my personal view, I would go about it differently. But uh, I, I have a different take on on why he's being played. So maybe that's skewing it. Well, let's move on. And let's talk about a, a, a topic that is, I think, starting to be on people's mind. And that is, is the offense actually struggling people have watched dame have a harder time scoring than usual missing a lot of shots like you were saying he's taking a lot of shots not a lot of them are going in even cj's gotten off to some slow starts he's managed to keep his numbers at a uh you know scoring at a reasonable clip but he does have um times where it takes him a while to get into it Nurkic is uh not maybe putting up the numbers that a lot of people have been thinking however the Blazers are still four and two their offensive rating overall do you have that up handy uh I do not but I can because I'm gifted like that also i have a laptop in front of me pretty much all the time you want their o rating yeah it's kind of, it's kind of funny we're sitting here talking about is portland's offense struggling you know i'm doing air quotes right now because nobody can see me um for a team who's has an offensive rating of 109.9 that's third best in the nba behind the warriors and the <clears throat> and the magic god it's just weird to see uh, <laughs> it's yeah. an upside down top oh, okay the top right five <laughs> offenses in the league right now are the warriors magic blazers pacers and pelicans according to, all, to offensive rating. So it lets you know what kind of season this has been. Um, so, yeah, it's a little weird to talk about Portland's offense struggling when they're basically getting buckets. It's just that they're getting buckets just not efficiently at, at, at all. They're it feels hard. Yeah, like they're <laughs> having to work their butt off for every basket. And it's cool. Um, they're still finding a way to get it done. I mean, they're averaging 111 points per game. That's fifth in the NBA. The problem is they're shooting 43%. Um, from the floor, which is 23rd. Um, what's saving their bacon is that they're the best percentage-wise three-point team in the league. The problem here is that's not sustainable. Yeah. <laughs> what are they shooting she, from three right now? 43.9. Thank you, Alpha Rukamino. You know, really, it's Pat Connaughton, CJ McCollum, and Alpha Rukamino are all lighting it up. Pat and Aminu are both above 50% on 20 plus attempts a piece, I believe. Um, and CJ's at like 44, 45%. So those three guys have just been on a tear from outside. And really those have, that that's been the difference in some of these wins, which is why maybe being a little worried here isn't so far fetched. There are a couple categories where Portland is blowing teams out of the water. One of them is three pointers made and three point percentage. The other one is offensive rebounds. They are the best offensive rebounding team in the league. 14.2 a game. Um, they're... Wait, can I just put put some, something about offensive rebounds? And I keep thinking this every night, and I feel terrible mm -hmm. for thinking this, but are they getting so many offensive rebounds because they're missing, missing a lot? so many shots. Yes, they're presenting they're presenting. I feel terrible about that. No, I mean, but if you're making up for it by getting those, um, if you're also pushing the pace on getting more possessions from what you were a year ago – then you can change those things around. So I want to take a look at the offense as a whole 
and this this comes with a caveat, as always, with the incredibly small sample size because we're talking about six games here. But what Portland's defense or Portland's offense has done compared to last year, based on a percentage, so they're actually scoring more two point field goals right now as a percentage, or excuse me, taking more two pointers than they were last year as a total percentage of the offense, and that's by about three percent more. But the percentage of their points from two-point range is dropped by almost 7%. Okay, so they're taking more two-pointers shots altogether. They're taking more shots from the two-point range altogether. And their total percentage of points is down. So that's a bad ratio. And they're shooting They're shooting about the same in the mid-range. So that lets you know that that's in the paint. And we'll get to that here in a minute. Now, they're taking... Less threes, but they're actually getting a higher percentage of points from three than they did last year. And the the biggest difference is fast break points. Last year, 10.5% of their points came from the fast break. This year, under 5%. Wow. That's that's a pretty hefty drop-off. Now, they're making up for it by getting to the free throw line. That they're, Why they're, are th- wait? I, I want to. Why do you think they're taking their their so many fewer opportunities in fast break? Uh, I don't know because they've been pushing the ball um, early on. As far as the pace was concerned, the, the preseason and the first couple games was the same. Now, is it the opponents that they're playing? Because they kind of got into a grind game with the Bucks as well as the Clippers. Could that have been an impact on the pace and the fast break points and how they set up? Certainly, but also part of that is going to be personnel and, and how they play. Mm-hmm. And taking Alan Crabb out of the equation isn't a big. I wonder, but what about, I wonder if losing Mason Plumley? Harkless has been, or actually Plumley was too. Harkless and Plumley have always been the guys that were the, the fast break scorers as far as the outside the normal guys between him and CJ. Uh, Nurkic is a guy that's going to run the floor effectively, but it's more about get post position than to score in transition. Um, That'll be something interesting to watch. I'm sorry. Yeah. I didn't mean to no, derail no. your whole no, offensive it's, it's, discussion, it, but I was no, like, that seems a really good point. But we kind of get into like the, the points in the paint in general. The Blazers are down percentage wise, almost 6% there. And that's, that's huge. So no fast break points and no points in the paint. So you're talking about two of the easiest sources of points, which is why some of these games have looked so difficult. Why kind of clawing at yourself a little bit if you're sitting there watching a game going, why are we up more? Like, why why is the score a lot closer than it should be? The easier stuff hasn't really been there. And a lot of that is due to how crappy Portland has been in the paint. Um, If you missed it the other day, Mike Richmond of the Oregonian put out a tweet referencing the Portland Trailblazers field goal percentage inside of five feet. Excuse me. Now, there are certainly caveats here to small sample size, but the Blazers are so far behind everybody else, it's incredible. In points in the paint. Well, not just points in the paint, but effective points in the paint. Uh, The Blazers inside five feet are shooting under 43% as a team. The next team is the Phoenix Suns. Less than five feet from the basket, they're shooting less than 43%. 42.9%. The next team, the next worst team is 513 We're almost 10% difference between the Suns. 
We're not talking about the offensive juggernauts here who get into the paint and score at will. The best team in the league is the Houston Rockets at 74.5. So they're shooting 30% better than the Trailblazers are at less than five feet. And this, we're not talking about small sample size here in terms of, in terms of attempts. The Blazers, here's the problem. The Blazers are third in average attempts inside five feet at 33 a game. The Lakers are number one. The Clippers are number two. So they're getting there a ton and they're missing a ton. That's a problem. Why do you think they're missing so many? Okay, part of this, and this is where the, the, I'm doing a little bit of chin rub, is Nurkic. Nurkic is one of the absolute worst in the NBA right now among centers inside five feet. Okay, and the, and you think that's attributed to that he's just rushing he's rushing, things rushing and that that will come once he gets his rhythm. He needs to get under control. I mean, he's he's got the footwork, he's got the talent, he's got the skill, he's got the size. And when like we saw it in the second half of the game against um the Suns the other night. Like he was just god awful in the first half. He, yeah, he, but he really came back and improved he, a he lot. He got himself under control and started hitting shots. So there, there there's definitely plenty of hope and there's not a ton of concern on my part, or should there be on anybody else's part, but it's something to keep your eye on. He's shooting 43.2% inside five feet. He's seven foot tall. That should not be a thing. He's only like nine inches from the basket. I mean, <laughs> yeah, and he's huge. He's 200. This is kind of funny, too. People talk about, or I, I, I kind of said it tug in cheek about how maybe Nurkic should, you know, eat a few more desserts and, and a few less vegetables and, and Dame should go back to being an herbivore. Maybe that would help. Um, well, sarcasm aside, Dame is, or excuse me, Nurk is still 270 pounds. Physical size. There's maybe five guys in the league all season long that, that he's going to be smaller than. So when I hear people like, well, maybe that lost weight, he's getting off balance and people are pushing him and I'm no, no, there aren't people that are pushing Yusuf Nurkic around. That's not a thing, folks. He's still a monster in the paint. We could probably both like push on him as hard as we could, and like together we couldn't even move him. <laughs> I I don't know. I've got a pretty low center of gravity. I, I'm not much lighter than Nurk, so. <laughs> um, so you think you could knock him over? I I could push him off his spot. I did. I can at least say that if if for nothing, just because I, I'm a, a foot shorter and the same size, basically, <laughs> that that center of gravity can could be an issue. Um, but it's it's been a uh, it's been a kind of a bumpy road for him in terms of where he's getting his points from effectively, um, and not just him really. It's been him and Damian and Harkless and CJ. CJ shooting thirty three percent, and granted that's on three attempts a game. Um, the the four guys who are getting at least three attempts a game are Dame, CJ, Harkless, and Nurkic. Um, oh, it seems. Me. And Ed Davis. Ed Davis is the only one of those five guys who is over 45%, and he's at 45.5. Wow, not much. It, it seems to me they've been running a lot more of their offense on the perimeter, but it sounds like what you're saying is the amount of offense they've been creating in the paint is not really significantly different than it was last year. Um, they're getting to the paint a little bit more than last year, Okay, but they're missing a metric ton of shots. So for, for reference here, the league average inside of five feet right now is 56.7%. And what did you say the Blazers were shooting in between that same? 42.9. 15, 15%. So they're shooting 15% less. Wow. So 
Okay, does do turnovers count against that or is that a whole separate thing because no, i feel like i've noticed a lot of turnovers in that area the blazers have been sloppy with the ball and, and we've seen probably some turnovers in the paint but that's not going to impact that that's that line at all um but the blazers are also because they're going to the paint so much they're rescuing themselves with offensive rebounds and free throw attempts so that's that's a real saving grace um i wish that wasn't the case I would like them to be able to get both the free throw attempts and finishing at the rim. Let's put it this way. The Blazers are four and two. Good. Great. Grand. And things could be astronomically better. So that bodes well for them going forward. If they can fix those things, if Dame cleans up his ability to finish inside and Nurkic cleans up his ability to finish inside, Nurk gets closer to 57%. Dame gets closer to 47, 48%. Um, Dame hasn't hasn't ever been the the fantastic finisher at the rim. He's gotten you, better every year. Uh, why do you suppose? I mean, I I felt like he'd made a pretty good leap last he, year he in did. finishing the rim. What yes. do you think's going on? I think that's probably some noise. Um, part of it could be that he is, and he said it himself that he's playing quicker. Right. That, so his timing part, just might be off. It could just be his timing. Um, it could be the same thing with Nurkic. That's maybe why Nurkic is rushing things. Um, both those guys have lost a significant amount of weight. They said they're feeling quicker and lighter on their feet. Um, maybe it's just about a rhythm thing and, and getting that under control will come as the season progresses, which would be great for Portland because I mean, th- there's nothing more that could help them right now than finishing the most you know simple and efficient shot in the league, you know, the shot right at the rim. Because the Blazers are doing things across the board really well to make up for those. I mean, they're getting 27 free throws a game. It's number five in the NBA. They're the, they're the best offensive rebounding team in the league. Those are, and they're the best three point shooting team as a percentage in the league. So they're, they're making some serious headway in other categories to compensate for this. And that's probably why people are, are overlooking this a little bit because they're still averaging 111 points a game because they're finding ways to make up for this, but those aren't nearly as sustainable. Like rebound, offensive rebounding can fluctuate a ton depending on opponent. Uh, Field goal percentage is going to change night in and night out, but your ability to finish in the paint and to get reliant and easy points in the paint is huge. We've seen already officiating can decide big time as far as how free throws go. So those aren't things you can rely on, but simple things like finishing in the paint, that's huge. So consistency in those areas are key going forward. So when I look at this year compared to last year, the way what I saw happen last year is, you know, they came back after the summer with very little um, movement and they were, everything was all about continuity and they were going to come, they're going to play this great defense and they came out and they just like f- could not put the defense together the way they wanted. Then their offense fell off and then they just got in this spiral at the beginning of last season that it took them a long time to get out of because they didn't have anything that they could fall back on that was working. I think the difference this year is that at least so far for the most part that defense is working and they yes. have something that they can fall back on that they can rely on that for the most part is going to work. I mean, every single defensive possession is not going to be successful. Like there was a play last night against Phoenix where Damien looked like Damien from last year where mm-hmm. he didn't make it through a screen and suddenly everyone was like, oh no, there's the Damien we all know. And like, no, that was not a representative sample of how he's been playing this year. That's going to happen with... to even the top flight defenders. Exactly. Like, he's been you're playing gonna take a possession really off. well. Like, 
He needs to find this, and this is going to take some time. I understand that maybe this is an impact, a part of it. He needs to find the steady balance between committing 100% to defense, committing and 100% to offense. Because the, the realistically, as much as any fan wants it to be a, a thing, you can't play 100% on both ends of the floor for 38 minutes a night. That, that's just not a thing. Not in today's NBA. Not at the point guard position. You're, you're put in way too many pick and roll uh, possessions. You're, the amount of energy and work you need to expend to be not just effective, but an elite player like Damian Lillard um, is astronomical. So he, if he takes a possession off here or there, and I, I, it sounds weird to excuse it, but that's just the reality of it. You're, you're going to, you want to do it without giving it away in which Dame is prone to do. When he takes a possession off, it's pretty evident. Um, instead of dialing it down to two, maybe keeping it at a six for that possession is a little bit better uh, in the long run. Right. Well, I guess, I mean, I, and I guess what I'm saying is I would rather have this team struggle offensively because we know without a doubt that they have they can figure it out offensively they've figured it out offensively before and what we've been waiting for is for them to show you know really good solid evidence that they figured it out on d and i feel i feel like they've made really good strides in that i'm not going to say they're perfect but i'm gonna say that i've seen some really good smart play i've seen some you know consistency and i've seen across the board engagement not just like you know well we know minu's got it like no i've seen everybody all up and down working hard on it so i think i think that bodes well even if these few game these first couple of games like you Perfect said example been um, hard to watch if you want to talk about the other guys that you know we want to see it from cj mccollum had devin booker late in the game against the suns um, and he put him in a straight jacket. It, it was essentially the possession that put the Suns out of the game. CJ probably fouled him <laughs> in, my, in my mind, um, but he absolutely bottled him up. It was fantastic. The effort, the physicality, the commitments on that particular possession, you was evident. It was CJ saying, regardless of what the ref does here, you're not getting a clean look. And I, I honestly, that mentality in that part of the game, I love that. I I, want to see that night in and night out because those are the difference between winning and losing games. Yeah. And I think maybe it's not going to be so pretty right for a while while they're focusing on defense because defense isn't pretty. No, (laughs) I mean, unless you like that kind of thing. Let's go ahead. Let's wrap up and talk about some of the upcoming games and what we might look for to tell whether or not they're coming out of this offensive slump against some of these upcoming opponents. So we've got they're going to get tested uh, real quick. Right. So we're like I said, we're recording this on Sunday and on Monday, the Blazers are going to be playing Toronto and then Utah and then the Lakers. So what are you going to watch for against any of those teams? Probably Toronto is the most significant opponent coming up in terms of, um, you know, difficulty. I I, I debate that a little bit. I I would say this, the Toronto game um, and we'll know how ridiculous I sound by the time the podcast very quickly (laughs) that the uh, the Toronto game has has been historically one of the best games of the season for Portland. Um, And I I don't mean like that's a game that they're going to win. I just mean the the game itself is incredibly competitive. Right. The Bagard matchup is really good there. I mean, Dame CJ versus Damar and and Lowry. Um, It's too bad we don't have LaMarcus if for nothing else, because they have Serge Ibaka. 
the 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 chance to have a, a fight between those two is near certain uh, on a nightly basis. So that's that, that'll be a bummer. But maybe Nurkic can kind of fill the role there because uh, Ibaka is definitely very hateable. Um, but that should be a good game and a good test. Uh, they're a lot like Milwaukee in the sense of how they like to go about their offense, um, penetrating to the rim and then look for the kick out. Uh, Valanciunas has been playing incredibly well. Um, so that'll be a, that'll be a good match, matchup for Nurk in the paint. Uh, how Portland deals with the first um, big man threat as far as, uh, I don't want to say old school, but a little bit more contemporary or not contemporary, but the, I guess old school is the right idea in how Valanciunas likes to play in the paint. Uh, the Utah game though is going to put a lot of strain on Portland's offense. If they, if they can't get easy points, they're going to be in for a rough one. Gobert and Ekpe Udo are patrolling the paint like no tomorrow for Utah. Their well, do you offense... think that? No, go ahead. With, well, do you think that with the struggles they've been having with the paint, somebody might be like, "Let's take more." We're shooting well from three. I mean, Utah's not going to with... give those shots up though. That's the thing is that they've got perimeter defenders in length. Donovan Mitchell, their rookie, he gets after it. I mean that that kid has got a motor. Like I haven't seen in a in a young in a young player in a long time. It was something that I saw in him in summer league that made me. I think I had him number three on my my rookie of the year board during the summer. I mean, he's a guy that he fits in perfectly with Utah's mentality and how they want to get after things. Um, Rodney Hood offers a ton of length. Rubio is one of the most underrated defenders in the entire league. Obviously, they've got a defensive player of the year candidate in Gobert. Uh, Ingles is another guy that's incredibly underrated defensively. And then Ekpe Udo, who kind of re- has revived his career here uh, as a defensive stopper for Utah, is another guy that they, they bring off the bench. That's a defensive nightmare. So there's no shortage of guys that they can throw at you to make your life a living hell offensively. Um, I so guess that, what I, that's a good, I think that's a good test. I guess what I'm wondering is, do you think that the Blazers are the ones who are making it harder on themselves? Or do you think, it's been the defenses that they've been up against. Probably a little bit of both. There's some changes, obviously, physically for guys like Damon Nurkic. Um, CJ, I, I'm, I'm guessing there's some noise there. Um, the the teams they have played, you've got DeAndre Jordan inside. You've got Giannis. And, Not fouling. Yeah, and you've got guys like Giannis in the box entire lineup who's 6'8 or taller. Um, Boogie, when he's committed... Um, obviously can patrol the paint really well. So, I mean, they've been up against the teams that defensively can bother teams in the paint, and maybe that's schedule-wise. Tyson Chandler is certainly no slouch, whether or not he's, you know, 42 years old or not. Uh, um, he's still going to do things um, in there that are going to bother shots just by being there and being big. So there's probably a couple things at play. Um, and again, it's, it's not it's not freak out time by any means, but certainly things to watch. And the, the good thing about the next three games is they're going to get tested against the Raptors and Jazz, and then they get the Lakers. That's a game that, like the Suns games, that there should be no doubt in the, that game. They oh, can't. Those go, are the ones that always worry yeah, me the they, most. They can't go in there with that mentality of we're gonna we're, you know we're gonna walk all over them. They need to come out and demonstrate that they're going to walk all over them because then they get the thunder grizzlies nets nuggets and magic and now that sounds like oh it doesn't sound that bad when you're going into the season then you see the nets are one of the highest scoring teams in the league the grizzlies are have been 
maybe the best team in the league. They're playing out of their minds. And the Thunder, you don't know which team you're going to get. You're going to get the team that has all three of the superstars just clicking on every cylinder, or they're just going to be a complete disaster piece. So they really haven't been any in between. And then you get a division matchup with the Nuggets and the Magic, who have just been lights out. So these next couple games are pretty important for them as far as setting the tone um, for the for the early part of the season because then you start getting the road games. The the Blazers are going to finish on this finish off this ridiculous uh, eleven out of thirteen at home, and then they're going to go out on the road for for a while. Uh, <laughs> uh-huh. so, it's a strange schedule. Yeah, it's really goofy. It's nice that they can load up here if they get the wins, but if they stumble in this this next block of games um it's gonna be a problem so let's let's hope that they figure out this whole paint thing dame gets going Nurkic gets going and the defensive intensity stays the same i think those are those are the three biggest things for the next five games can they fix this whole issue in the paint can they keep defending and can they get dame and dame and Nurkic off like can they can they get them off and running and get them where they're consistently getting the shots that they need to take and make? One last question for Nurkic: What would you consider locked in for him? I mean, for Damian, I would say you know going back to at least averaging you know twenty five would be twenty five five and five is, is a where I want to where I believe we will soon see Dame um, going. But what do you think would be uh, a good place for Nurkic to settle in a comfortable place, a place where you think is attainable and um, you know would would make a big difference? Sixteen, seventeen, ten, and two. That's 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 a very Nurkic stat line. You mean sixteen or seventeen points, points. not sixteen points and seventeen yeah. rebounds. No, that, okay. I'd be all about that. <laughs> I would be all about that. But no, I mean sixteen, seventeen points, ten boards, two blocks. If he's if he's there and shooting above fifty percent, like fifty, because he's got a long way to go to recover. He's sub forty percent right now. He's at thirty nine point four percent. So uh, if he can work it over the next five six games, if he can get back up to fifty percent. Or, or above, um, I, I, that's probably effective. Because if, if, if over the next 10, 12 games he gets back to 52, 54, 55%, because he's not the most efficient guy because he's going to take some shots outside. Um, he's going to take some threes. He's going to you know take some probably some ill-advised shots. And I think that's part of Nurkic's makeup, that he has the capacity to do the amazing. So when you have that capacity, you're going to do some dumb stuff from time to time and you just kind of kind of live with it. It's kind of, it's the same thing with, with a, with a staff or with a LeBron or a Dame, you know, the, these guys. Alpha that have, yeah. Uh, I wouldn't go quite that far, <laughs> um, but I would, these guys that have that capacity to, to make the incredible happen pretty frequently to get that, you have to put yourself in that position to put yourself in that position. You have to do something that if it doesn't go off, looks really bad. Yeah, you got to take some chances. That's yeah. true. So, and I, that that for me is is a successful spot for Nurkic to be in. Well, we're gonna know real soon whether or not we were right about how those things are um, are progressing. It's so great to be in the season, and I already feel like it's going too fast. If it could just slow down, I would really appreciate that. Um, announcement from Blazers Edge that uh, Blazers Edge Night has been announced. Yes. It will be on February twenty seventh. So we will put a link in this in the show notes about how folks can contribute to Blazers Edge Night, where the Blazers Edge is endeavoring 
to send 2,000 kids to a blazer game on February 27th. We ask readers and listeners to purchase tickets and donate, and they will be distributed to uh, teachers, classrooms, parents, all kinds of uh, folks whose kids maybe haven't had a chance to ever go to a game before, who've done really well in school, get a little reward. It's something that Blazers Edge has done for several years. We love being a part of it, and it's we're going to be talking awesome about it. From now until February 27th. So, Dan, you want to take us out of here? Yep. Uh, as always, well, I should say a quick reminder. Um, we'll continue to do this for the whole Blazers Edge night. If you have any questions, you can always go ahead and email blazersub at gmail.com. If you know anybody who wants to get, get a hold of some of these tickets, if you have a group um, or singles or whatever, go ahead and email Um specify that, you, that that's what you're looking for so they can help get this stuff lined up because there's a reason why this game that we do this game in february uh, late late january february march because it takes a lot to get this all organized i mean you're talking about two thousand people here that's going to be 10 percent actually more more than 10 percent of the entire moda center is going to be filled with people who would who wouldn't normally get a chance to go so that so this is a really really big deal so if you have the opportunity to help somebody out go ahead and do it um as far as all the social stuff Remember, you can find us on Google Play as a part of the Almighty Baller Podcast Network on iTunes, pretty much everywhere else you need for your podcast needs. On Twitter, you can find me uh, at DMarang. It's at D-M-A-R-A-N-G. Tara, go ahead and let them know where you're at. I am at TCB Biggs on Twitter. You can also get a hold of Blazers Edge at Blazers Edge, or you can head on over to BlazersEdge.com. Well, that'll do it for Tara and I. Thanks for joining us, and we'll be uh, thrilled to have you back next week, and hopefully we're talking about at least three more Blazers wins. Uh, depending on when we record, we are going to have a special guest in here next week that all of you, for the most part, know and love, so something to look forward to. Uh, for Tara, I'm Dan. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us.